Welcome, and uh, we're going to go through the book of Acts. Open your Bibles up to the book of Acts. We're going through the Bible um, books a week, and you all all know that because you've been coming. And tonight is the book of Acts, and it's an interesting book and one that, you know, I've been preaching on on Sunday mornings. You've heard me go through it. But his book just kind of takes off where Luke ends. So look in verse 1 of Acts chapter 1. It says, the former account I made. The former account that Luke's talking about is the gospel of Luke that he wrote. And so we know Luke was the author of Acts. And as we go through this tonight, I hope that you can get some insight into what all was going on and a little bit more knowledge of what Acts was really written for. If you turn over to Matthew chapter 28, flip back and then we'll stay in Acts. But Matthew chapter 28, we have what is considered and called the Great Commission. And it's chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Acts records the fulfillment of this passage. And so look in verse 19, it says, Go therefore and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth." And so as this commission was given to the disciples and they were to go out into all of the world, Acts records this taking place. It records the growth of the New Testament church. Many things that started here, Christ came and set up the church, we know that, and Acts shows the growth of that church. Luke uses over 700 words not found in the other 25 New Testament books. He was very knowledgeable in the Septuagint, which is the earliest Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, because nine-tenths of these words were used in the Septuagint. So that means Luke was very knowledgeable in this, and he used those words that no one else in their writings really used in the rest of the writings. Luke includes about 80 geographical references. Luke mentions over 100 people by name in the book of Acts. Luke gives a large amount of space to speeches and sermons. No less than 24 messages are found in the 28 chapters of Acts. He was there for a lot of this time, but the rest of it he interviewed those who were there. Just like with the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. Luke was not there during the time of Christ, but what he did is he went back and interviewed all of these that were there. And the same is true with Acts. A lot of his information came from Paul. But we know also Luke, he'd go back into Jerusalem and he interviewed probably Peter. He knew all of them and he all the apostles and he talked to all of them and he interviewed them so that he could gain all of the knowledge about how this was written. And as we looked at in Luke, when the Gospel of Luke, that Luke in his writings was writing to a man named Theopolis. Theopolis was this kind of Roman upper government guy, in a sense, it's the only way I know how to describe him. But anyways, the books, these two books were written, number one, to prove Christ was the Messiah, but also he wrote this to show this man how that the Lord had used and fulfilled his plan, how the church was started and how the gospel was spread throughout the earth. And so with him writing this, he's writing it to one individual. And I said this when we talked about Luke, he's writing it to one individual. And so many times we think that this was written for the whole churches, for everybody, but not, it was written for one individual. But God's plan, he was going to use this to educate all the believers 
for centuries and centuries and centuries. So he writes about over 100 people. It has 24 messages. Um, he was there for a lot of it. And Acts covers 30 years of the birth and growth of the church. So the whole book of Acts expands over about 30 years. The key verse is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And let's look at that. Acts 1, 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends that the othermost parts of the earth. This verse is laid out in this book. The movement in Jerusalem, the movement in Judea and Samaria, and then the uttermost parts or the ends of the earth. The book is broken up into these three parts. And there are two main characters in Acts, Peter and Paul. Luke shares information about a lot of different men and women who are important pieces to the growth of the church. This book has always been titled Acts, but some of them in your Bibles may say Acts of the Apostles. They are mentioned as a group, but mainly it's about Peter and Paul. In the book, Luke addresses the apostles many times. Sometimes it's just as a group, but he really specifically talks about Peter and Paul. The date and setting of the book of Acts. This book was written around A.D. 62. Now, some say it could even be the second century, but many believe A.D. 62, and here's why. This date is believed to be the time it was written. It's because of the way the book of Acts ends. Luke doesn't mention Paul's trial before Caesar, which was in A.D. 62, or else he would have mentioned it in some form, the outcome of the trial. In A.D. 64, the persecution under Nero is not mentioned. In A.D. 68, Paul's death is not mentioned. In A.D. 70, the destruction of Jerusalem is not mentioned. And so many believe that since these were left out of the writing of the book, that these took place afterwards. And so the book was written in A.D., finished in A.D. 62. And Luke was very detailed in his writing. He is very knowledgeable, and as you read through the book, you see a lot of details that he put in there so we could follow and understand the movement of the church and the growth and how it moved. And so I truly believe also that if Paul would have died during his time of writing, he would have mentioned it. He would have mentioned the outcome of the trial, which he did not mention any of these. So the theme and purpose of Acts, there are four books written on the life of Jesus. But Acts is the only book that carries the story from the ascension of Christ to the period of the New Testament epistles. So it fills in that gap. Acts is the historical link between the Gospels and the epistles. And without Acts, it would be very difficult to follow the epistles. Who is Paul writing these letters to? What are these letters? Where are these churches at? Who was it? It just fills in all of those gaps. It would also be a very difficult to understand the history of the church. We wouldn't have any idea how the church even got started. How did these people, Christians, come to know the Lord? How did they hear the gospel? On and on and on. Luke spends a lot of time, spends a lot of time writing about the working of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And we know that we read that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And so Luke takes a lot of time writing about the Holy Spirit coming upon the apostles on all of the believers, but also that the Holy Spirit used them to proclaim the gospel throughout all the generations we know today, but also through this period of time. And really all this happened in one generation, but this time that the growth of the church was happening and it was happening because these men were powered by the Holy Spirit. 
Luke being a missionary showed this in his writing as we get to read of the spreading of the gospel throughout the whole world. And that was kind of its theme. Acts shows the transition of the church over one generation, a primarily Jewish to a predominantly Gentile membership. And so in one generation, we see that the Jews being God's chosen people, the Jews being the churches we'll look at in a moment, which started in Jerusalem, to at the end, the church is predominantly Gentiles. Now, there's both in there, don't get me wrong, but how it transcends to the whole world. And it happens as we watch it go through Acts. The Holy Spirit transformed a small group of fearful men into a thriving worldwide church. And this church is moving forward and fulfilling the great commission. You think about when the Lord was crucified, when Jesus was crucified, and these apostles, these followers, disciples were scared. They were terrified. And here we have these 12 men, if you want to say 11, then added one. But these men who are terrified, they're scared. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they receive this power to transform the world for Jesus Christ. And, you know, and the same spirit that was in them is in us today, okay? And we have that same power, but yet this power, the Holy Spirit was so powerful and so filled these men and these believers, as we're going to look at, that the whole world was transformed and changed. And we today are changed because of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And we get to see it in this small group of men. And I love what I love about the book of Acts is I love that it really, of any book that I kind of, I kind of really believe that it shows the power of God's plan. And so many times Satan wants to stop God's plan. Satan wants to stop the movement of the gospel, the movement of the church, the movement of the Holy Spirit. And we see in Acts that no matter how hard he tries, can't stop it. And we see how God uses things that we think would be um, horrible or bad events or devastating, even persecution. And we watch how God uses those things to fulfill his purpose. And so many times we watch this and we watch how this church goes through persecution. We watch in in, in Acts and we've preached about it as it goes through these difficult times. But yet the church always comes out on top and the church is always thriving and it's growing during this because God is greater than that. And then we get in today's situation in our world and we think the God that had the power to overcome all of those obstacles does not have the power to overcome this obstacle that we're living in today. And many Christians believe that. And so as you think about the book of Acts, I want to encourage you that God has a plan. God is fulfilling his plan. He's working his plan. And we can see all throughout this, as we'll look at a moment, it's one of the character Paul. He tried to stop it. And God just used him. And so it's a great way to encourage us. Acts' central theme is the sermon and defenses of the resurrected Savior. So the Old Testament scriptures pointed towards this resurrected Savior. Then we have the historical resurrection. The apostolic testimony of this resurrection that they witnessed. The convicting power of the Holy Spirit and all of these testify that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Look over in Acts chapter 10, verse 43. Acts chapter 10, verse 43. 
Here Peter is preaching to Cornelius in his household. And we see in this sermon the resurrected Savior. So chapter 10, verse 43. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Here we are. Peter's been talking about the resurrection. This is the way you're saved. This is where the hope. And the prophets spoke of this in the Old Testament. Look over in chapter 4, verse 12. Chapter 4, verse 12. Here's Peter and John speaking to the Sanhedrin. Chapter 12 or chapter 4 verse 12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other name, for there is only well, let me say that one more time. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so here their promise, here's what they're preaching is the gospel. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Salvation. That was their theme, and that's what they preached. And all throughout Acts, these sermons, these messages are all brought up, these discussions, these times they're defending the truth of the resurrection. All of these are going on, and it's all documented in Luke, and it's all preaching the gospel. Acts is a pivotal book in transitions. It's a transition from the gospels to the epistles, as we said, kind of history, from Judaism to Christianity, kind of religion, from the law to grace, from Jews alone to Jews and Gentiles, from the kingdom to the church. And the profound changes that took place on the cross took about 30 years to be fulfilled. So when Christ came and died on the cross, all of this kicked into gear and it took about 30 years to be fulfilled. And Acts is an extraordinary event, a bunch of events that are extraordinary that formed this movement. And so there are three movements in Acts that we follow in the key verse of Acts 1-8. First, the witness in Jerusalem. Second, the witness in Judea and Samaria. And third, the witness to the uttermost or ends of the earth. So let's look at the witness in Jerusalem. That begins in verse 1 and goes all the way through 8-4. This movement, and you've got this little part, some of this, on your little chart on your back of your uh, sheet there. This movement addresses the Jews. The main person of this movement is Peter. It took place in Jerusalem, and it lasted about two years, A.D. 33 to A.D. 35. So look in verse 3 of Acts chapter 1. Let's read the first three verses of Acts chapter 1. It says, The former account I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So we know that Jesus was with the disciples, the apostles, for 40 days. And then it looked verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. And so we know he's speaking here of the, the Holy Spirit. But Jesus had told them to wait in Jerusalem for the fulfillment of this promise, the Holy Spirit. This happens about 10 days after Jesus' ascension. And this empowering of the Holy Spirit took place on the Feast of the Weeks or Pentecost. And then 50 days after, that was 50 days after the first fruits 
or the resurrection. And because every Jewish male is required to appear at the sanctuary for this feast of Pentecost, Jerusalem is swelling with Jews and proselytes from throughout the whole Roman Empire. The apostles are transformed and filled with the courage to proclaim the message of the resurrected Savior. And Peter's sermon is built on this message of the resurrection. And thousands were saved during this movement. And here we have this time, and this is, we know that we talk about it in Acts chapter 2, and this, and the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, and all that happened in Peter's message, and he was preaching the resurrection, he was preaching that Jesus was the Messiah. He came, he died, and he rose again, and he had witnessed that, and they were preaching that, and thousands and thousands were saved. And we begin to see the church begin to grow, and the church begin to move, and they had this power to preach this because of the Holy Spirit inside of them. That the Lord had said, you wait in Jerusalem till it comes upon you. And here again, the Lord's plan. This isn't just happening as as it's going through and then Jesus dies on the cross and he resurrects. He's going, okay, we got to have a plan. We got to have, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? This was established way before the beginning of time. And just like the plan that's being fulfilled today is being put in place way before the beginning of time. And here was these men, and now they're getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And we saw in the church that when the day of Pentecost came and those that believed were filled with the Spirit. And they began to speak in languages because, like we said, all of these had come in and they all heard in their own language this change in these people. How are they speaking this language? How are they doing this? And they're speaking and preaching Jesus Christ and the resurrection. And this began this movement that began to happen. And we see the church call because it began to grow seven devout men to help these apostles and to minister to the widows and to minister to the serving of food and to serving and to helping in the church. And one of those being Stephen and Philip. And we know that Stephen would eventually be killed and he was the first martyr. Look over in chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 and 4. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. So we hear, we have Stephen being killed. And it says, now Saul was consenting to his death, being Stephen's at this time. A great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Now here they realized the Holy Spirit inside of them, giving them the power. They understood the resurrection. They understood salvation. They understood grace. They understood mercy. And I think about these, these men and women that were scattered. And it's interesting that is Jesus told them in verse 8, you're going to be scattered to the all over the world, Jerusalem and Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. And as we look right here, as they're scattered out of Jerusalem, where do they go? Judea and Samaria. And what are they go doing, I, I would think if I was one of those being scattered, I'm going to hide. 
if I'm being scattered because they're coming and they're killing me, they're persecuting, they're putting us in prison, all of those things, I'm running fleeing to hide for my safety. But they fled preaching the word. Why would they do that? That makes no sense. Why would they scatter preaching? Why didn't they just stay preaching? Why didn't they face their persecution? Why didn't they just face their death and take a stand for the Lord? Well, because God had a plan. And he was fulfilling his words that I'm going to scatter you. You're not going to know you're going to scatter. You don't even know how I'm going to scatter you. But it's going to start in Jerusalem. And then I'm going to scatter you into Judea and Samaria. But you don't know how that's going to happen because I'm the one with the plan. And the way I'm going to do it, you're not even going to be able to comprehend. You're not even going to understand. It's not going to make any sense to you how I scatter you, how I get the gospel to these regions. But guess what? I'm going to fulfill my plan. And so then we know that as we go, that's what happened. And then as we look on in verse 5, let me hang on a second. Hang on a second. We're going now to the second one, Judea and Samaria. And this starts in verse 5 and goes through 1225. And this movement addresses the Samaritans. This is on your chart again. The main person for the movement is Philip. This took place in Judea and Samaria. And it lasted about 13 years, A.D. 35 to 48. So let's look in verse 5 of chapter 8 through 8. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord, heeding the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did, for unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in the city. So here we are in Samaria, in Judea, and Philip goes and he was the first one to go and go to the Samaritans. And he was to preaching the word. He was preaching Christ. He was preaching Jesus. He was preaching the resurrection. And God used him. And it, it's interesting that we would think he would have used the apostles. But when they were all scattered, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. And so here they go. And Philip goes out and he begins to preach the word. And God uses the power of preaching, the power of these lies, the powers of the miracles that he used to authenticate that this message was true. Because you got to understand, they didn't have the Bible like we do today. They had the Old Testament, but they didn't have this speaking and reading about the resurrection and all that happened. So they were just hearing this. How they know it was true? Well, they were able to do it, authenticate that through their, through their signs and through their miracles that they did. And it would make them, give them credibility and know that they were truly of God. And so these Americans, are these Americans, these Samaritans, sorry about that, you know, well, it's my eye. The S disappeared in my notes, okay? It said Americans instead of uh, Samaritans. But anyway, the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. And you think about this. Not only were they hated by the Jews, but the, the Jesus, the God of the Jews, was coming and saving them. And they were having a difficult time with that, the Jews were. And they had to have this meeting and they had to send Peter and John down to check out this movement and see for themselves. And the Holy Spirit came upon those just like he had 
the Jews. And during this movement, the, perse- the persecutor Saul is saved. So during this time, we have this persecutor Saul who is saved. And so we have Saul the persecutor becomes Paul the apostle to the Gentiles. And he uses Peter to introduce the gospel to the Gentiles. And through a special vision, Peter sees that God has broken down the barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. Look over in chapter 10, and we'll begin in verse 28. Chapter 10, verse 28. Peter is meeting with Cornelius again. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that of that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for whatever reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here whose surname is Peter. He is lodging at the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. And when he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. For in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. And so here now, Peter had this vision of the sheet coming down and God told him to eat. And I think it's so funny. Peter said, not going to do it. And uh, can you imagine telling God that? And he's audibly talking to you. But anyway, Peter does that. And uh, but now Peter's eyes are open. The leader of the church at Jerusalem, all of this, the apostles to go, okay, God is now fulfilling his promise. And the Samaritans, the Gentiles are all now going to receive the Holy Spirit, be saved just like us. So Peter has to convince the Jew, Jewish believers back home in Jerusalem that the Gentiles are called to be God's children as well. And even during this movement, more and more persecution arose, but the church continued to grow and to thrive. And then we have the third part of the promise, the command, the key verse, to be the witness in the ends of the earth or the uttermost part of the earth. And that's through chapter 13 through chapter 28. And this movement addresses the Gentiles. So this is where all of this begins to transition to the Gentiles. The main person in this movement is Paul. The place is uttermost part or the ends of the earth. And it lasted about 14 years, ADs 48 to 62. And how's Luke's, and this is how Luke's focus changes from Peter to Paul is during this third movement. The church in Antioch gradually replaces Jerusalem as the headquarters of this church or this movement of the church. And all of Paul's three missionary journeys originated from Antioch. And so Paul's missionary journeys, we have his first missionary journey, which was from AD 48 to 49. And it concentrated on Galatian cities, Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And there was a council meeting in Jerusalem during this time that determined that the Gentile converts did not have to 
be under or submit to the law of Moses. And this was huge because the Jews wanted them to follow and submit to the law of Moses. But this council said they don't have to. They're, they're free. They're children of God. They're children of God. They're saved just like us. And so mainly the Galatian cities was where Paul started his first missionary journey. His second missionary journey, A.D. 50 to 52. Once again, Paul goes to the Galatian churches. And then for the first time, he goes on to Macedonia and Greece. And Paul spends most of his time in the cities of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Corinth. And he later returns to Jerusalem and Antioch. And we know that in the Thessalonians, Corinth, and Philippians, these letters are written back to these churches. And again, if we didn't have Acts, these letters would not make much sense. But we know that this second missionary journey, we've been looking at these on Sundays, but as Paul went on and it began to expound to the ends of the earth in the uttermost parts. And then we have his third missionary journey, which was from A.D. 53 through 57. Paul spends almost three years in the main or the Asian city of Ephesus. And then he visits Macedonia and Greece for the second time. He is warned not to go to Jerusalem, but Paul cannot be dissuaded. So he still goes, and that's where we're at on Sunday mornings. Paul then gets accused of bringing Gentiles into the temple. The Roman commander's intervention keeps Paul from being killed by the mob. Paul's defense before the Sanhedrin creates a violent reaction. And when the Roman commander learns of the conspiracy to kill Paul, he sends him to the governor in Caesarea named Felix. And during Paul's two-year imprisonment, A.D. 57 to 59, he defends the Christian faith before Felix, Festus, and Agrippa. And then Paul's appeal to Caesar required a long voyage where he is placed under house arrest until his trial in 62. And so that's kind of how Acts goes along. And, and as we look at the very end of this and we look at the book of Acts, we see God's miraculous building of the church. And as I think about this book and I think about Acts and I think about the church and these 28 chapters that are pretty much focused on the growth of the church and the building of the church, and when I think about how much the Lord loves the church. You know, we're talking about the church of believers, all believers. You can say that if you want to kind of a universal church. But even more than that, as we look at these individual churches that so much is written about, so much detail, how it all started and all the epistles written back to the churches, these letters and these letters to the churches and all these and the, the people and the men in the Bible that were these letters were written to by Paul and all of these centered around the church. And if the Lord loved the church that much, so should we. And I believe too many Christians today, they do not love the church. They do not put themselves in it. They, they minimize it. And as we look at Acts and all that went happened and all God's plan as he was working this thing out and the growth of the church and the gospel being spread, that's what he uses the church to do. And I love that our church does that, not only in this area, but around the world. And as I think about that, and I think about some of our missionaries, and Jay McGoy, our missionary to Myanmar, and uh, he can't get back there right now, but uh, he, he, sent a, he sent something out, or Sam found it, and then I talked to Jay, and I'm supposed to call him again tomorrow. 
but they asked for prayer for his main pastor there that's leading all those churches and kind of running all those camps that we've had a part in. And he's been really sick, and I'm not 100% sure if it was COVID or not, but I know he's on respirators and stuff like that. I don't know what kind of medical facilities they have there. But anyway, when I called to check on him and texted to check on him, then we talked, he just died. And Jay told me that 15 of his men have died in the last year. But here's the thing that's pretty cool. They died giving their life for Christ and for the church. And that we can rejoice in. And that when they get to heaven, well done. But these men in all these churches and all this up there, these villages, there's a big uproar with the government. That's why Jay can't get back there right now. But we'd gotten them some iPads back in the day. And that's how they're talking back and forth. But they've burned all the bridges or destroyed all the bridges that they can't get back into the cities. They can't get back around. And they've kind of isolated them up there. But yet they're still preaching the gospel, still trying to see people come to know Christ. But yet here we see opposition. One of our missionaries in um, Honduras that is there, um, his name is gone. Taylor, Josh Taylor. Thank you, Sam. You you just did this to me. (laughs) But um, he's not doing very well. He's really sick with COVID. Pray for him. We've got them all over that are struggling in in different times and things like that, that they're going through different things in their life and different obstacles. And uh, with all this pandemic and trying to keep and reach people and being creative and they don't have. And some of them had to come off the field because they just couldn't they couldn't get resources anymore. They couldn't get they couldn't even stay in the country. We've had some missionaries that can't even get back in the country because their visa. They won't allow them back in because of the covid and all those things. And so all of this persecution that we're going through and trying to spread the gospel. And that's why when we do missions, we try to establish these churches and put national pastors in the church preaching and teaching the gospel there. So if a missionary has to come back, it still goes. And, and, and we've never really had to face that before, very, very seldom. But now we're seeing why that is so important and establishing these churches there, because even like now, the fear that some of these have that these churches can still continue to go, still continue to go, still continue to go. And so we look at God's plan being fulfilled. And even with all that's going on now, and as I just told you about some of these missionaries and stuff, God's plan is still being fulfilled. We don't know what it looks like. We just keep trusting it and keep doing what we're called to do. We see different instruments of his grace used in the spread of the gospel. And today we get to see different instruments of God's grace being used all over the world. With these missionaries we were just talking about in our lives, okay, our church all of those things. And we get to be partners of that, just like Paul was, just like Peter, just like Philip. And we see all these men and women that were instruments of God's grace, even those who were scattered and they went preaching the word. And that's what we're called to do even today, as we're even scattered in a sense. We go to different places of work and all that. We go to preach the word. And today we still God see God working his plan and using men and women to be instruments of his grace. So Acts is the bridge to the letters and epistles that are to follow as we keep going on Wednesday nights. And we'll even get a more in-depth look into the growth of the church as we go through 
these books that are coming up. And so as you look at the book of Acts, and you, anytime you look at Acts, a couple of things I want you to remember. Number one, do I love the church? Not in any particular order. Number two, am I trusting his plan? And number three, am I an instrument of his grace? And all three of those need to be applied in our life. Number one, that we love the church. Number one, that we trust his plan. Even though it may not be our plan, even though we may not understand it. And then third, that we are instruments of his grace. Just as we've seen in the book of Acts, all these men and women who are instruments of his grace were called to be instruments of his grace. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the book of Acts. And Lord, as we can look into it tonight, and Lord, we could spend so much time, even like we're doing on Sunday mornings, but as we get a surmise, a summary of this book, and Lord, that Luke, thank you for leading him to write to this one individual, Theopolis. But God, your plan was it was going to go to speak and spread the truth of the church and how it was started. Luke didn't know that when he was writing it. You did. And Lord, I pray that we'd continue to trust your plan. Lord, we may not understand the plan, may not even like the plan, but God, that we would trust it. And Lord, we'd be instruments of your grace as we fulfill this plan, God, that we would go as the ones who were scattered, preaching the word, living it out in our lives, speaking it, teaching it, preaching it. And then, Lord, I pray that we would love the church. And God, that we would use, I pray that you'd bless this church to spread the gospel all around the world. And Lord, thank you that we've been faithful to do that. God, I pray we'd continue to do that. Lord, give us wisdom as we do that. Lord, help us to be a light in this world. And Lord, till the day you come back. And Lord, we love you. Thank you that you called us to be a part of this plan. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.